Welcome to Cardboard Philosophy, the board game podcast where we talk about nothing serious, seriously. Each episode, we randomly pick from a list of niche, deep board game topics and have at it. So we invite you to join us at the table, listen in on our conversations, and let us know what you think. Welcome back to Cardboard Philosophy. This is episode 24. This is Steven, joined as usual by Robert and Evan. What's going on, guys? How's it going? It's going great. Cool, cool, cool. Let's see what we're talking about. <laughs> Just moving on. Uh, let's go. So we got 27, uh, which is, uh, yeah, this is one of mine. Uh, what makes a game replayable? Mm. So this came from, I watched a video on YouTube about what makes movies rewatchable, uh, like a movie you can just watch over and over. And they talked about things like humor, memorable characters, quotable lines. Um, and so I, it got me thinking about like what makes a game replayable because we talk about it all the time. People always talk about like, you know, adding more cards or expansions or things like that. And obviously it's not going to be the same things that makes a movie rewatchable, but it definitely got me kind of thinking like where are the parallels, what makes a game really just something that you could just over and over and over again and wear the cards out, you know? I have so many thoughts about this. Um, Let's go. Probably too many thoughts. <laughs> so maybe, maybe I lay out the thoughts kind of very vaguely and then we can talk about them if you guys agree or disagree. So I think sure. that the two big things that make a game replayable are luck and interaction. Mm-hmm. I think um, just in my experience, I've come back to games that are lucky and games that are interactive. I guess like luck and like chance randomness are those yeah. sort of interchangeable. All those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All those things. Okay. Yeah. Um, there, there's some amount of just randomness in the game, yeah. And then the thing that I think actively hurts replayability is content. So you were talking about like oh. expansion packs and like um, <laughs> campaign modes or whatever it might be, just more content. I think that hurts replayability. Because like thinking about the movie example, imagine that every time you went back to watch your movie, your favorite movie, something about it changed. Like I think you would watch it less it's called it's blade runner anymore. and that is the way that it works <laughs> it's, not, it's not your favorite movie anymore i don't know it's weird it's like um you fall in love with something and you want to play it again so why change it you know so just like expansions i think are trying to make a game replayable but i think they actively hurt the re- replayability because to me it just gets really annoying to like decide like oh do i want to play with or without the expansion and then if you throw the expansion stuff in you got to take it out and then if you just stuff the box with content it definitely just feels like a coffin. So I agree mm. and I disagree with you on the expansion note because I don't think all expansions are the same. Um, there's a two. There's mm. two kinds in my mind. Uh, there are additive expansions, which I think kind of create the problem that you're uh, describing, where you hit a certain point, and a game like Everdell does this, where or Wingspan is another popular example, where every expansion adds. A module or something an extra board an extra track an extra deck mm-hmm. and they aren't always cross compatible and so part of the conversation at the start of a game is what expansions are we playing with and that adds to the overhead and the upkeep of actually just tabling the game is oh we have to have this huge committee vote to see what we're going to play whereas yeah. if there's no expansion you just hey do you want to mm-hmm. play chess yes let's play chess there's no <laughs> chess with guns or chess with boats or whatever (laughs) the type of expansion that i disagree with though are um i don't really have a name for it but it's kind of like evolutionary expansions which are like maps or extra factions or 
uh, new decks. So Root, More I think, has done this really, really well, where pretty much every expansion Root has released hasn't really added to the overall rules load. It's just changed some faction in the game or changed the map of the game or changed the fundamental deck of the game so that it's a different spice. It's a different flavor of what you're already familiar with. Yeah, would, I'm with would, you. I think yeah. I think for me, it's like the expansions that I keep are the ones that I feel fix the mm -hmm. game, for lack of a better word. Like TI4 with its expansion, I'll never play without it. I just throw it in there and I forget about it. Um, yeah. So anything that just feels like you can leave it in there and forget about it, that's fine. Because now it's just more like a patch to the base game. Yeah. But I'm talking about like the sheer content expansions of just like, you want yeah. more mm -hmm. cards, here's more cards. Like that, that bugs me a bit. I, I would rather it be like something that you can leave in there and it just rounds out the base game you don't even think about it as being an expansion once it's in there yeah i do sometimes wonder about like the games that just like keep coming out with like and here's another pack of like 50 more cards and it's sort of like it does yeah. make me wonder like is that what keeps this game interesting like is it just a matter of like once you learn the cards it's not like yeah. the fun kind of fizzles out or like and i think i think it often comes down to like figuring out the game or feeling like you've quote unquote solved it and maybe i'm just like jumping into a whole other topic or something now but like i, I my gut is saying that that's often what like makes a somebody want to like replay a game is like yeah like if you figured it out if you just have a strategy and you're just going to do kind of the same thing yeah. you know like each time it's not very fun so like having some and that's i think what you were getting at robert like the some level of luck some level of like something that is going to change but sort of like within the set parameters of the game that i know you know what i mean like i know mm -hmm. that i'm going to draw a card and it's going to be one through 50 I just don't know which one it is, you know, and like that's right. where the fun comes in is like which order are they going to come in. So I think sometimes there's a game where like you have like a deck builder or something where people just kind of like the meta people just land on this is the best strategy. This is like the the best way to do it. And so like until you add new cards like in a trading card game that just kind of people just settle it into it. So, yeah, I don't know. I those those expansions often feel like a kind of like a bandaid or like you're kicking the can down the road a little bit, you know, like, oh, Two more years without getting bored before you realize that this game really isn't going to hold up or whatever. I mean, maybe that's a little harsh, but... Dune Imperium. Cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't it's say staying. it. <laughs> it's staying. Well, that, that's what I was saying with the luck and the interaction. Those both stop you from doing the thing you're saying, of just like doing the strategy that you figured out over and over again. Right. You just can't. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big factor in the replayability thing. I do think it's possible to have a replayable low-luck Euro. If it's interactive. Yes, you have to have some level of mm -hmm. interactivity. And I'm not entirely sure where the cutoff is there, but if there's no way for me to, you know, stop Steve's red track strat, then it's not fun because Steve has figured out a way to game the red track to the point where he's just right. going to win every time. Why yeah. would I play this with him? Yeah. I think of like really simple like trick taking or card games that it's mm. just like mechanically it's a very simple kind of the same thing, but it's just because you are against other people and there's no other way to play the game like, you know, it's the what are they going to do this time? Which of the four cards do they have now? You know, yeah. like you never know and you never will know because it's different every time. And interaction can kind of act as a form of luck in a way. And right. it's, 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 yeah. it's almost an even more extreme form of luck because if you're rolling a die, you know, like the minimum is one, the maximum is six, you know, you right. know the odds, but like yeah. a person is like so unpredictable, right? They're like yeah. a human being who have, you know, bajillions of thoughts that you can't possibly understand why they had that thought. And so I think interaction is even like a more extreme form of providing replayability because it's just even more varied than any kind mm -hmm. of cards, dice, bag pulling you could do. And I do think that you can 
interchange them. Like if your game doesn't have that much luck, you probably need some interaction. Or if it's not very interactive, maybe it's very lucky. Um, mm-hmm. Like a roll and write, for mm-hmm. example. There's no interaction, but it's replayable because it's super lucky. Every, everything yeah. you do is determined by the roll of a die or the flip of a card. Mm-hmm. Or something like Bus, which has no luck at all, but is hyper interactive. Yeah. Right? Like something has to cause you to be on your toes. I was thinking of Terra Mystica with the... Uh, mm-hmm very interactive because to me there's not a ton of variability in Terra Mystica obviously you have like player factions there's no luck yeah but like at the start of the game you know who's in the game you know what tiles are going to be available you know what uh, end of round bonus tiles are going to be out there and it's all the way that players build how they prioritize stuff that makes that game exciting and Mm -hmm. honestly you could have the same faction set up three games consecutively and they're not going to play the same at all even if you have the same tiles. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I feel like a lot of folks would bring up like different strategies, like how many or paths to victory. I think we even talked about this, right? Like, yeah. We had a whole episode um, on it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, so that feels like something that people look for to make something replayable, right? Like, and that's kind of what I was saying. Like, if you if you solve the game, if you feel like you've solved it, if you feel like you essentially are doing the same strategy, maybe it's not yeah. the exact same, like programmed, like down to an if or kind of statement level. But like, if you're essentially doing the same thing, you kind of maybe get bored or you feel like um, you want to try it up. So like, it's it's interesting to me how like some games like don't exactly have a lot of paths, different paths, but like just the path is interesting or varied enough that it's fun. But then. Other games, like yeah, you you can try entirely different strategies, and like that does add some like replayability. But I still wonder if like eventually you will have tried all of the strategies yeah. and landed on your favorite. You know what I mean? Like it's just a, a matter of timeline. This is gonna be very anecdotal, but I have a friend who, when I first was kind of like getting this group going, uh, I asked everybody like, "What is your favorite kind of game?" And I'm gonna like search out those games because it was kind of when I was first rediscovering the hobby. And they said that their favorite game is ones where, you know, it's very replayable. You can just play it over and over and over again. And it kind of reveals itself more and more to you. So I took that to mean old school Euros. So I was like, okay, cool. We're going to play a bunch of dudes that are sad on the front of the box games. And what I discovered over the course of kind of the year of, you know, focus grouping my friends almost was (laughs) that they didn't actually like those kind of games. What they were looking for is what you're describing, which is multiple paths to victory. They want to revisit Mm -hmm. the game, try a different strategy. But what I found was after you kind of exhaust the five or six or seven strategies that are in the base game, it sort of loses its luster for those people because it's like, you know, you've, you've sampled the different angles of attack but right. there's not really any way to go beyond that because you're just rehashing something that in your mind you've already tried before. And so I think something that a lot of people conflate in their heads when they're you know talking about it or looking for an experience is short-term variety versus long-term replayability. Absolutely. Yeah, I have seen so many YouTube videos where they're like, look at all these tokens that we could have drawn for endgame scoring objectives. It's so replayable. <laughs> and I'm like, is it though? Like, won't you just be kind of be doing the same thing again? I don't know. And um, we definitely talked about it a bit on our paths to victory, but I definitely still think that the more paths you have, the less interactive it is necessarily. Yeah. Because like, imagine like, you know, like a bunch of like roads, like paths leading out and there's like four players. And if there's 10 paths, the chance of two of us being on the same path is much less than if there were only two paths. There's two paths. You cannot be alone on a path. It's impossible, right, with four people. So, like, you're going to be bumping heads. You're going to be on the same path together. 
So I think those things really contradict each other. It's not just mm. that people conflate them. I think they're literally opposites. Like the more paths you have, yeah. the less replayable you are. But I think, you know, of course there's exceptions. Like when you're mentioning Terra Mystica not having any luck, I was like, well, tic-tac-toe doesn't either. But tic-tac-toe is <laughs> not complex enough for, the, yeah. for you to like try mm-hmm. different things. You know, like the game needs to have some level of complexity where you can't perfectly solve it. Yeah. And so it's almost replayable because of human error. Like people will make suboptimal moves and you can like pounce on those if you notice them. But if in tic-tac-toe, after you play it a few times, you will not make a suboptimal move and then there's no game anymore. You need some complexity with the interaction. Uh, I mean, a great example of that keeping Terra Mystica front and center is Terra Nova. It's the same game system, but certain elements of it are stripped out. Now, I've only played it once on Board Game Arena, so it was async, so there's obviously a couple of factors that are going to yeah. factor into my enjoyment, but I've only ever played Terra Mystica async on Board Game Arena. And to me, the amount of nuance that is stripped out of the experience with that kind of does what you're saying, Robert, where it lacks the complexity to keep it engaging, so it just felt almost more brutal than Terra Mystica does, even though Terra Mystica is a more brutal game. Maybe another... Another example or way to come at it is Robert's tic-tac-toe example. Mm -hmm. I've played some, I don't know what it's called, but like some super tic-tac-toe squared where you have like a tic-tac-toe grid within each of the nine spaces. Mm -hmm. And so like you mark on one of them and then whichever one you mark in that smaller grid determines which larger tic-tac-toe board the next person could put their thing on. So that obviously adds a much more a much higher complexity level and then that turns it into an actual you know a game that i have played with people and like you actually have to strategize and it you know what i mean like mechanically it's very similar you just kind of add a couple more layers but um it it takes it from a almost like non-game you know into a, a very real two-player game until you figure it out right like until, until you get to the moment where you can see it like you can see tic-tac-toe like may, maybe you'll never get there but there is kind of a point you know? I mean, maybe. Would you say that people reach that point in chess where they just look at it and they're like, oh, obviously. <laughs> like, I mean, maybe like grand masters yeah. have, are they, it's much simpler or like more obvious to them, but I still don't know if it would be like on that level of like, I mean, maybe, I guess, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, yeah, I'm just saying like theoretically there's kind of a limit, yeah. right? Yeah, whereas, yeah, I guess. whereas like with luck, you don't have that limit. I see what you're saying. Imagine if like in that tic-tac-toe game, you had to like roll the die to determine where you could draw the draw your mm-hmm. line like you can't mm-hmm. have a plan you can't be like if we both play optimally i know who will win you know yeah whereas yeah, i feel yeah. like in chess eventually it'll get to that point like if two people play optimally you know who wins um but if there's even a bit of luck the optimality is just like out the window you're reacting a lot more yeah yeah maybe there it's like like the limit might still exist but it's just so much mm-hmm. further out that like 99% of people won't even come close to reaching that limit, you know, that right. it, it exactly, essentially yeah. feels like it doesn't exist or it's it's kind of like it's infinitely replayable. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, with the tic-tac-toe example, it's a very limited decision space because you can make one of nine choices, but it's only one choice you can make. You have to place your mark somewhere on the board. Whereas I think what we're saying is if you add a rule where like you can extend a line in tic-tac-toe to create a new column, now you have two choices. And that's where you start to get some of that, like, yes, the optimal player is going to win, but it's the player that is kind of navigating the rules more efficiently. We're also talking a lot about like theoretical limits or like what makes the game, like the game mechanics more replayable, but nobody plays to the theoretical limit of replayability, Mm -hmm. right? Most people play a game two or three times. 
And like mm-hmm. most games are replayable twice. Like there's definitely been a few games where I play it once and I'm like, I don't want to play that again. Yes. Or, or like, I really don't think anything would be different if I played it again. Yeah. But at least twice. And that's what most people are doing. So I'm even thinking of like, maybe we can discuss factors that just make you want to come back to a game, kind of removing the theoretical, you know, limit of it. Like for me, yeah. it would be like lighter games because I can teach them to more people. Thus, they're more replayable. I can just teach them to anybody. Whoever shows up to my house, like, I'm like, oh, you want to play a game here? Let's play high score or whatever. Like, it'll take me 30 seconds to teach, it, <laughs> to teach it to you, as opposed to I can't be like, let's play Nucleum. So Nucleum is just going to be played less. So in that mm-hmm. sense, it's less replayable. Yeah, in a very like literal, mm-hmm. how many times will you play this mm-hmm. game way? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That one's interesting because you are the person you're targeting the replayability toward. And I think that almost brings into the conversation two types of replayability with you and with the same group. Like if you have a weekly group, it's always the same three people plus you. What denotes replayability for them? Or if you're like going to cons and going to meetups and, you know, have 30 friends that you'll have over at your house in varying levels throughout the month, what denotes replayability for them? Because for you, it's you have that larger cast of characters where you're pulling people in. And so keeping it short and sweet is going to aid the replayability. But for somebody that is a more stable group, that could change that. And your group kind of matters too. Like I feel like some people want to play the same game and master it and get good. And then some folks are more just like they just want to try stuff. I think for me, I agree with the easy to teach thing. Although I don't necessarily look specifically for lighter games. It's just stuff that I think I can convey the mechanics of efficiently. Um, Yeah. So like if it's over a half an hour, generally that's not going to be something that I'm going to see as being easy to table. But if it's like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, probably. And I think it's what story are we going to come away from this? Like there's going to be the fun that we're having while we're engaging with it. But there's also kind of the fun when you look back on the memory that Zach talked about uh, on his guest appearance on episode 23. Uh, Zach Dixon from Ivy Studios. (laughs) (laughs) Way to plug the podcast during the podcast. I love that. I hadn't really thought about it in those terms until he brought it up, though, because that is something I think I look for is the fun of the moment of the decisions I'm making, of the interactions I'm having at the table, of kind of the smack talk that's happening at the moment. But then there's also Mm -hmm. the looking back on and saying, that was fun. I want to do that again, because that's going back to the genesis of this question. I think that's the movie, right? Like you want to be enjoying the movie while you watch it. And then you're thinking about it afterwards going man, that was a good movie. I want to watch that again. I, I brought up like trick takers or card games, but I mm. my um, I don't know if this is like a common term or something, but my friends and I call certain games porch games. I'm sure it's an online thing, but like by that, we just mean a game that you could like sit on the porch with like friends or your family mm. and you could kind of mm. even like, it's it's a light game. It's a casual game. It's one that like, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean low complexity or light, but it's just like something that we feel like you can kind of still be having a conversation or kind of like visiting and hanging out and then you're just like throwing down a card every once in a while and like taking a trick you even kind of get the flow of it once you get going you can kind of like autopilot a little bit but like there's still enough going and like to me part of those games is also that factor being able to just kind of casually play it but also like the replayability like i could just sit here for hours just chatting and bs and while we throw cards down and see who wins you know like um so there's just something about that where it's like Maybe it's not like super high stakes or super crunchy decisions, but there's just something satisfying about that loop of, you know, we all throw a card down, see who got the highest one. And that to me is what feels like those movies that like those just feel good. Mm. We just kind of throw it on like a comfort food kind of thing, you know? 
That's almost like a TV show, like next mm-hmm. episode, right? Like yeah. play again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what all that is getting at, but just that that core yeah. loop gameplay loop is super satisfying. Yeah. Well, it, it's a, it's another factor. It's like the it's almost like the feeling or the flow of the game, right? If mm-hmm. that's just pleasant. If it's pleasant to just play you know who cares if it's lucky or interactive or whatever it's just like playing it has a nice flow that definitely adds to replayability i think uh sea salt and paper is a good example of that where you could just be having a conversation Mm -hmm. while you're drawing cards throwing cards down it's not necessarily going to be the most mechanically rich experience that you have but it's a really good just chill out and chat while doing Mm -hmm. something game yeah um something that i'm thinking about is we've talked about a low luck game that has high interaction and we've talked about a higher luck game creating replayability just because of the input randomness that it generates what i'm thinking about though is if we're saying these games are replayable and you play it like 10 20 times you start to see a meta game develop how does a meta game affect replayability I was thinking about this a little bit with games like your Dice Throne or Unmatched or those Mm -hmm. games that come with like a bunch of different characters. They're like a fighting game. You could buy a set. You and your buddy could go head to head and try out all the different characters, try out all the different combinations. Maybe you would kind of settle into like your ones that you like or something. But then at a certain point, you might be like, you know what? You have clearly mastered that character. Like this was the one I was going for, but now I'm going to shift into figuring out whatever character I need to do to beat you. You know, like that becomes the new goal. And then like maybe once Mm -hmm. you do that, you know, like I could see the meta kind of going back and forth and shifting around. Mm -hmm. And I mean, maybe you eventually, again, on a long enough timeline would feel like you kind of burn it all out and you landed on this was my ultimate favorite. You are clearly the one who just, you know, are better or something. I don't know. Uh, Just to quickly define a meta, it's kind of a understood best way to play something where everyone sort of follows a set guideline or pattern within a rule set, I guess is a good description of a meta. Yeah, just like a a tendency, like, oh, I noticed that you usually go for the red track. I'm going to try to, I'm going to, you know, specifically go after that this time, like... I, th- I think it can it can both hurt and harm a game, and I think Steve kind of touched on both those things. Like it, it can, did I just say hurt or harm? You said hurt and <laughs> That's harm. That's funny. Yeah, um, I meant harm or benefit a game, and I think Steve touched on both of those. Um, so I think it can hurt a game if it is truly the perceived best way to play. Yeah. Like for a, a while, when I was playing Great Western Trail, it was like, oh, the Cowboys are the best way to play. Whoever does the Cowboys will win, and that kind of ruined the game a bit. Um, Because the same person, which was me, was winning. And that was just, like, not fun. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, people don't want to just, like, copy your strat and just do that. It's like, you know, it's like lame. Why would you, you know? But it can also help or benefit a game in the sense that it adds, like, a a long-term story arc to it. You know, like, it kind of creates a story Mm -hmm. around it where, Mm -hmm. like, ooh, you were were always doing the Cowboys, but I'm going to get in your way. I'm going to buy some Cowboys so you can't do it. Or I'm going to just try something totally different, like Steve was saying, to directly combat your strategy. So I think it can go both ways. I've seen it go both ways for sure. Especially if the meta changes. That's very fun. Yeah. I like mm-hmm. when, when everybody's just like, oh, this is definitely what you should do. And then somebody does something totally different and the table's like, whoa. Yeah. Right? The game suddenly opens up. Like It feels, it feels way more you know, um, deep and elegant and intricate than it ever was. So there's something, I think, beautiful about that when you're when everybody at the table kind of realizes what's happening and like the implications that has on future games that's also a very cool moment for our impromptu segment we're gonna just easily pick our favorite most replayable game uh i picked three um and you can't stop me i'm I'm gonna go with three of them uh 
they are all replayable for different reasons. So the first one is replayable purely because of content, which I know is the opposite of what I've been saying, but bear with me. It's monikers. It's a party game. Mm, yep. Yeah. Um, and it's easily my favorite party game ever, and I just love it so much. Um, definitely like a top 15 game of all time for me. But it's, a, it's essentially like um, a game where you play um, Taboo, and then one word only Taboo, and I think then fishbowl is also the yeah. colloquial name of it. Yeah, I think so. And then charades, all with the same set of cards. And these cards just have words or phrases or whatever on them. Mm-hmm. And you're in teams trying to get the other teams to guess it. Um, there's tons about it on the internet, so you can look up more if you're interested. But if you know what the cards are, it doesn't work anymore. You need to like not know what a lot of the cards are when the game begins. And like learning the cards yeah. over the course of the game is the game. And developing the inside jokes about the cards is part of the game. And I guess if you just waited a year between plays, you would forget the cards. Yeah, but I have like three, three packs of it. Yeah, each pack has at least, I don't know, 200 cards maybe in there. And I will just keep buying packs as they come out because my friends and I play it nonstop. So that's monikers. The other one is also a party game, um, just one. Yeah. That has been a hit with everybody I've ever played it with. It's not even you know close as to how successful that's been. It's just yeah. so easy and it's absolutely a porch game like Steve was saying. Yep. I have played that for three to four hours straight yep. at a party before because you just can. It's so good. Yeah. Um, and then my more gamery one is Rapido, also known as Escape. Ding. Um, a a Kinesia <laughs> dice rolling game that also has gone over well. And I think it is replayable because it is very lucky and very interactive. It has both of those things like cranked to 100. Um, so it's like the kind of poster child of what I would call a replayable mm. game. Good picks. So since you picked three, I'm also going to pick three. Uh, I'm going to go with a party game because that's the cool thing to do on this podcast. And I'm going to say that's not a hat because mm. even if you draw the same cards, the whole yeah. concept of that's not a hat is predicated on forgetting everything and how easy it is to forget everything. So it's almost even better if you pull a similar card to yes. what you did last time because it's like, oh, crap, was that this round or last round or what was it even in this round? Um, another one which has just the right balance of player interaction and luck is Renature. Um, every mm-hmm. game I've played of that has been different. Every player count plays different. It's such a variable game. So good. And so good. It, it's a game that I'll look at on my shelf and go, do I actually like that game? And then play it and go, oh yeah, this game's amazing. Why am I even questioning liking this? Um, and then the last one, just to get my designated ding in, is Zuvatis. Ding. Mm-hmm. Zuvatis is so fascinating in how varied and replayable and different every game is i've literally played with the same group of people with the same factions and it's so dynamic in the way that it plays out every time it it feels like a totally fresh experience even though it's the same factions the same people it's such a lean negotiation game where the rules really just kind of get out of the way you can teach it in five minutes you can teach your family you can teach hardcore gamers and everyone's going to approach it differently and you're going to have such a unique experience every time. I love it. And the little bit of randomness that comes in is the point tokens and the point allocation. How are those going to affect the way that you negotiate? How are those going to affect the way the player powers come out? Like all of those little things don't look like much on paper, but in actual play, it's fantastic. And now that I have my copy, I can say with full confidence that the production is gorgeous too. So you get these chunky wooden meeples. It's fun to interact with. It's fun to play. It's just so good. 
Heaven always has like these like great picks. Like last week it was Heaven and Ale, and then he hits us with Renature. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, you guys basically took most of the ones I, I was thinking of. So um, just one, definitely up there. I have had the exact same experience as Robert. It is just so easy to bowl out. It's so easy to teach. Anybody can jump in. People can jump in. They can jump out. You can just play it for hours. I absolutely have done that. I've played it for like a whole weekend, basically. Mm-hmm. We went camping and took it, and just we just played it all the time. And I think like just one you eventually maybe would learn all the words or something, but even that it doesn't really matter because what other people say, I feel like it would just, it would take so long playing with the Mm -hmm. same exact people. You know, I just don't think it's like realistically not an issue. Um, Wavelength is another one that I think kind of hits. It's not quite the same, but it's replayable because even though there's words on the cards, the people giving the clues um, change each time and how you're trying to give the clue. Um, But I think just one is my, probably my pick for, for like favorite party game, most replayable. It's the one that I've just played the most easy, hands down. Moniker's also great. Um, I know people used to just like write the names, yeah. and so that would kind of keep it a little more, mm-hmm. you know, like the classic game. Um, I think the only other one I'll bring up is um, Turing Machine. It's it's I play it as a solo game, and I feel like it will take me years before I master and learn everything that there is to learn about that game and how to deduce hmm. It is kind of the same loop, but I find it just incredibly satisfying. Um, so until I have completely mastered deduction, <laughs> it will be replayable for me. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll shut that one out too. So I guess that's it. Finito <laughs> or rapido, as we say um, here. <laughs> I love that rapido is the translation for finito. Amazing. All right. I think that kind of covers it. We could probably just keep going on and on but we won't we'll we'll wrap it there and we'll catch you next time you can always write to us at cardboardphilosophypod at gmail.com catch us where you listen to podcasts and until next time keep gaming whatever episodes game some plays rapido (laughs) 